from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. We do need to have a serious national discussion about what things need to be made in the United States. That's a former U.S. intelligence official issuing a warning that seems to have been largely ignored. The people who make your hardware, computers I'm talking about now, are potential insiders in your business. His warning is about Chinese technology, and it may surprise you that warning was issued 11 years ago. As a result of that unheeded warning... You know very well that the 5G and all what is related to Chinese technology is a very hot topic at the moment. It's more than just a hot topic. It's a crisis. And Raoul Rick, the National Cybersecurity Policy Director for the Estonian government, a global technological powerhouse, discusses the problem. That the main question is, how can we control the technology that we use and the technology that our information society is built on? Mm-hmm. That's the main question question. Coming up on this edition of Target USA, the National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. You probably have heard by now about the U.S. government's concerns regarding Huawei. The Chinese company has for many years, according to technology experts, used secret access points pre-built into exported equipment that could allow Chinese intelligence teams to conduct cyber operations using the affected equipment. Cybersecurity research firm Finite State has just released a stunning report declaring that 55% of Huawei equipment has at least one backdoor access point. This is why officials around the world are so concerned about the coming 5G rollout. Huawei is the leading provider of equipment used in those networks. As far as the U.S. goes, here's the crux of the problem. The Chinese right now are quite relentlessly putting on a full-court press against uh, American government and business. That probably sounds like something you've heard from a U.S. government official recently. That's because you have heard it. What's interesting about that particular comment coming from that particular person is that it was 11 years ago that Joel Brenner, who was the national counterintelligence executive at the time, issued a stark warning. He was warning about a problem the world has now come face to face with. Normally, what we do is go back and get the historical perspective to set the scene for the problem. But in this case, let's hear about the problem first, and then go back and examine how we got here in hopes that we can avoid making the same mistakes again that we made by pretty much ignoring what Brenner warned about years ago. And to do that, we travel back to late May 2019, Tallinn, Estonia, a sit-down conversation with Raoul Rick, the National Cybersecurity Policy Director for the Estonian government. 
At the moment, um, we face the challenge that's related to the trustworthiness of the electronic uh, equipment, ICT equipment and software. So um, as you, I presume you have, you know very well that the 5G and all what is related to Chinese technology is very hot topic at the moment in European Union, in United States and also in Estonia. So um, we are looking at this challenge not so uh, specifically only in the 5G context, but also more widely. That the main question is how can we control the technology that we use and the technology that our information society is built on? That's the main question. So have you answered that question yet? Uh, not yet, because the, it seems to be that the basic problem in this field is that uh, uh, the countries simply don't have enough capability to deal with this issue at the moment. And it doesn't concern only Estonia. It concerns uh, European countries, uh, U.S. as well, all countries around the world. Because the technology that we use is produced by different uh, companies. Uh, we, if we start to look more closely how this uh, equipment and software is put together, the technology providers use hundreds of different products and components. They put it together, and now the main question is how we can control it, how we can control something that um, numerous companies around the world have developed components. Because the question is who's going to test it? And how we can be sure that the supply chain is secure enough? How we can do that? That takes massive capability. Because, for example, if we print out um, the operation system of the Microsoft uh, Word, for example, or Microsoft Office, then we get the millions of lines of uh, text if you print this code out on the paper. So, and if the new update comes after a mm. month or another, then this process starts again. So the, mean, the big question is that how we can control technology that we use. You know, there's a big thing going on in the States right now, the U.S. regarding Huawei and this very thing you're talking about, you know, is the reliability of the components of uh, equipment and, um, you know, concerns about whether or not something might be manipulated for a bad purpose or a bad reason. How does Estonia get past those kinds of issues and challenges? Uh, we, 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 we don't get past because the, at the moment uh, we rely on the technology that comes also from China and from other countries. And so far uh, there hasn't been, uh, let's say, we, there hasn't been this kind of chance. Now this question has been raised because when societies start to use 5G technology, the ICT technology comes even closer to us. We, we are going to be more dependent on that. And now this question is on the table. Mm -hmm. And uh, now we are trying to find a solution, how, what to do about it. Because if we are very, very uh, precise, then the alternative technology providers are producing their technology also in China, for example. So mm -hmm. if we exclude Huawei, for example, then who is in, next in the line? Ericsson. Ericsson has joint uh, ventures in China. They have to follow the Chinese legislation the same way as Huawei. If we exclude Ericsson, then we should bring uh, Nokia. Nokia has already started joint venture 
in Russia with Russian telecom operators or tele- ICT companies. So uh, <laughs> the question is that uh, whom to pick if we look at this situation from the national security perspective? Wow. And there's not enough time for anybody to start building these kinds of things from a national point of view. There's also, I guess, the question of resources to do something like this, and then there's the scaling of it. There's also the standards, the international standards that I guess have to be met in order for something like this to come to the market. So um, what's your suggestion? I know you play a big role in this discussion, uh, you know, as the policy director. So what are you offering as a possible way forward? Mm -hmm. Uh, I have to say that uh, our government has not made the decision yet. But uh, what I can say is that it seems to be that there is no single solution that solves the problem. Uh, it seems to be that we have to use different, uh, uh, how to say, different measures. Uh, first, it could be that we exclude certain technology providers. That's one. The second uh, measure is certainly the certification of the ICT equipment. And uh, uh, at the moment in European Union, there is a work going on in order to create the framework for certification of ICT equipments from the cybersecurity perspective. That's the second measure we should certainly implement. The third one is uh, control better the uh, telecom operators, what kind of technology they use, be more part of the risk assessment and uh, measures implementation. And um, fourth is to uh, create or raise the capability of uh, uh, from the to inspect and control the technology from the national security perspective. So all these four uh, measures should be implemented in certain level. That's Raul Rick. He's the National Cybersecurity Policy Director for the Estonian Ministry of Economic Affairs and Communications. We'll hear from him again. But the bottom line on what he said is there is no single solution for dealing with this problem. So the problem is supply chain protection. How do we do that? How does the U.S. approach it? I had a conversation about six months ago with Bill Evanina, who's the National Counterintelligence and Cybersecurity Director here in the United States. And this is what he had to say about that. And the name of the campaign is Know the Risk, Raise Your Shield. And the idea behind it is to provide the private sector, industry, academia, uh, the right tools and capabilities to understand what the threat we face from nation states are and some key tools and capabilities to prevent and mitigate those threats that run across the landscape from social media to spear phishing to supply chain penetration. The government is very good about uh, informing uh, and making indictments and arrests, but sometimes we have to go the extra yard and explain and uh, advise and inform uh, key avenues for which our adversaries penetrate our systems. And I think this is an effort to be able to reach not only our big corporations, but the mid-size and small businesses across America who maybe don't have the cyber capabilities they need to defend. And we're hoping we could add a little bit of value to help them defend part of their infrastructure. Give us a sense of some of the examples that underscore the foreign intelligence threats faced by U.S. companies. 
Sure. I think when you look at um, just even over the course of the last uh, two years, JJ, with the amount of indictments, uh, it would not only in the economic espionage realm, but the APT-10 uh, indictments that uh, the FBI and DOJ had and all the work that DHS has done, uh, the manifestation of the threat posed by foreign actors has grown so uh, vastly and has expedited itself. We need to be in clear public-private partnership to help industry understand what the threat is from a supply chain, how spearfishing can uh, be mitigated, when and how are you vulnerable when you travel overseas on a business or personal event. I think the government owes that to the private sector to be able to show, uh, not only via pamphlets, but we call them video vignettes, how this looks like in real life. This will be four years ago that you, uh, in your role, I think you had just become NCIX at the time, and uh, one of your former colleagues, uh, Randy Coleman, who was uh, director, assistant director in charge of counterintelligence, I believe, at the FBI, spoke to me and other journalists right as the video company man was being released. In that particular uh, media opportunity, you spoke, both of you spoke about the pervasive nature of Chinese um, threats uh, in uh, towards U.S. companies and the, the, the different types of means that they were using uh, at that time in, in what appeared to be a very rapidly growing uh, threat area. Put in context for us how China's activities have changed since then. Well, I think they've grown, uh, J.J. I think they've been uh, exacerbated by the need and the strategic plan of Chinese uh, President Xi Jinping to be the global dominant factor, not only geopolitically, militarily, and from an investment financial perspective. They want to be number one in the world, and they will stop at nothing uh, to get there. And that we looked at it from a perspective of the last few years, and the manifestation of the threat has grown to areas like supply chain. And uh, we have to be able to be uh, expeditious in how we share information we get from a threat perspective to corporations to help protect their supply chain, and not only from an infrastructure hardware perspective, but as well as a software perspective. And a few months ago, we released our supply chain vulnerability and economic espionage, which really hit the market hard with respect to the new ways of which foreign actors, primarily China, are penetrating our uh, control systems and our SCADA systems, um, both in small companies and large, through software. And I think it's really important, again, I'll emphasize the public-private partnership to be able to defend our nation, a whole-of-society approach to defend against the whole-of-government approach for which we're being attacked. So I need to ask you a question for an honest answer, and not that you wouldn't be honest, but um, just to get at the heart of this, is private industry getting this? Because you've been at this for a while, and you've been saying very similar things for a while. You've been going back and coming up with new things, obviously, to help them out, because as soon as you put out something, the adversaries try to essentially undermine or uh, essentially figure out a way around it. Are Is private industry getting it? Well, I believe they are, and, and not at the, at the pace that we, we would like, J.J., but I think there's been more of a, a focused interest the last two years, particularly with the, the increased indictments and legal process that's been brought out by DOJ. And just for some numbers, J.J., since July, there's been 20 indictments and arrests against individuals and businesses from China alone in the economic espionage portfolio. What that results in, in the reality for business, for them to be able to understand what you're asking, is it results in jobs lost, 
billions of dollars in research and development and future loss, first to market with capabilities with respect to what we are developing for proprietary information and trade secrets. So I think the businesses are starting to now feel that pain and that loss and the damage that's caused by this economic espionage. So yes, I think they're getting it, but I think we and the government have to be more effective and efficient to continue to drive this because this is an enduring threat. And I think we have to be uh, efficient and effective in how we continue to be uh, in an advisement role, threat and warning, in an enduring process as well. That's Bill Evanina. He's the director of the National Counterintelligence and Cybersecurity Center. And what he said was, big business, private industry, the private sector, they're getting it, but not as fast as they would like them to. Despite the fact that they've been talking till they're blue in the face, they've sent the materials, they've created courses, all sorts of ways in which people can learn more about the cybersecurity risks and threats out there, we still aren't getting it fast enough. How long has it taken us? You're about to hear a portion of an interview that was done 11 years ago. And why is it relevant? Well, as soon as he starts talking, you'll understand why it's relevant, because it's the same thing that we're hearing current intelligence and cybersecurity officials say today. Only he said it long ago. And as I said earlier in the program, I think it's important to hear this because it puts in context just how big a problem we still have in the U.S. when it comes to cybersecurity. We do need to have a serious national discussion about what things need to be made in the United States. That's a hard issue involving lots more than intelligence. And I, don't, I want to flag the issue, but I don't want to um, say you know, too much about it. And it's very difficult to generalize. I'll put down one marker, which is that computer chips are a big issue right now. And, and I'll say that the people who write your software and the people who make your hardware, computers I'm talking about now, are insiders in your business or potential insiders in your business. And that means that for really sensitive business functions, we have to figure out where we want certain chips to get made. That's not for most things, but for very sensitive things. Just if I could press a little bit further on that then. We know where most of them are made, or many of them are made. Um, that discussion with that discussion include essentially saying, look, we have to stop the, the, the hemorrhage or stop the, the invasion. I mean, is that the idea here? Because that appears to be what's happening on a lot of levels, at least as far as DOD, a number of government organizations have reported uh, comp being compromised by some of these. Is that, is that, is, is that the idea you're talking about to, to, stop, those, to stop those problems? Well, we want to stop um, compromises, but all compromises aren't, aren't a function of where things are made. I mean, you could have things that are made in the United States and still have compromised systems. Of course, what's now difficult is what does made in the United States mean when a lot of the components of something are made abroad and where, the, where some government organization will tell you you can call it made in the United States if such and such a percentage of it was made in the United States. And even if the whole thing was made in the United States, who wrote the software in it? And, and most people don't know that. I mean, you're, you're, I'm swalking into your microphone with a tape recorder right here. Where was that made? And what, where was the, you got to look at the bottom to figure it out. You got a pretty good guess. 
And then there are pieces in it. Where were they made and where was the software written? And there's no reason why most people should know the answer to those questions. But if you're trying to understand what your vulnerabilities are, you might want to know the answers to those questions. And here's one of the most telling parts of the interview, when you compare what was happening 11 years ago to today. The counter-espionage problem is never going to go away. That's to say, dealing with human spies among us and rooting them out. But the, the fact that we now are so uh, thoroughly interlinked and move information uh, so well and so widely means that we're vulnerable electronically. If you can infiltrate another country's or another company's or government's electronic systems, uh, their, their email servers and, and their, their ways of moving and storing information, if you can do that from 10,000 miles away in the comfort of your own office in another country, you may not have to run a spy. And if you can do that, if you can do those electronic penetrations and have them enabled by an insider, well, that's the worst of all possible worlds. So what we've come to realize is that we have a, a counterintelligence vulnerability that's electronic. We're, we're, we are vulnerable to remote attacks. We are vulnerable to um, electronic attacks that are aided by uh, people, uh, uh, close-in insiders. Um, as well as to an old-fashioned spy. And, and that, that awareness has become, well, I, I guess I'm glad to say that two years ago I felt that we, we had a very low level of awareness of that in the government. Uh, now the level of awareness is much higher. Frankly, in the private sector, the level of awareness is very uneven. We have very sophisticated companies and some that have not begun to understand their own vulnerabilities. Is that awareness matched by readiness? Um, no. Uh, people who even becoming aware of it would say, well, wh what ought, ought we be doing? And um, we, ha we have some thoughts on that. There, the, there are some technological issues, but actually the behavioral problems, people, people being careless in the way they design systems and the way they operate systems and the things that people do on governmental or, or company uh, systems are, are, are an issue. Look, let me give you an example. You go to um, a foreign country, uh, or maybe not even a foreign country, it could be some, some trade show, somebody gives you a thumb drive or free CDs, and this is cool stuff and it's free and you know what you have to pay for a little thumb drive you know one of these things about the size of your thumb that that, that can store more information than than any small thing could have stored 15 or 20 years ago and you, and it's tiny you put it in your pocket or put it on your keychain well you can stick that into a computer and suck out all the information that's in it it can be done very quickly you can also find that the the free thing you got has some kind of malware or virus on it. And that not only could be um, a malware or virus that will um, either uh, confuse or destroy your own operating system, but it could be the kind of thing which phones home and, and exfiltrates information electronically, especially if you're hooked up wirelessly. Once you're hooked up wirelessly, you know, anything that can be done electronically can be undone electronically. It can often be 
undone remotely electronically. And if you're walking down the street with your, your Bluetooth, uh, having a cool conversation, somebody else can be listening. Somebody else can be infiltrating malware into your, into your system. Um, now, most folks are not targets the way uh, government officials might be or the director of research or a major company. But most of us now have had some experience with with something nasty happened to our computer because some um, malicious uh, SOB has uh, um, stuck something on our system in ways we weren't, weren't aware of. Making that harder to do is not just an issue of convenience, it's an issue now of, of sec information security. That was Joel Brenner, former National Counterintelligence Executive during an interview in 2008. Now, back to the present, or at least the recent past, Raoul Rick, National Cybersecurity Policy Director for the Estonian government. And the question was, how do you get people's attention? Also, Rick addresses the power that ordinary citizens have in their own pockets when it comes to protecting themselves regardless of supply chain issues. Uh, I think that, uh, the, in my view, the idea of cybersecurity is that people don't need to, you know, see. Because if uh, we put too much uh, uh, responsibility on the shoulders of the regular persons and organizations, we will never get the situation where the cyber, cyberspace is secure. It's a so fundamental problem that how to secure the network um, uh, connectivity and electronic services. So I think that's what Estonia, uh, I would say by accident, has made right. So we have created on top of the regular internet, we have created secure internet that we can use with our electronic ID card or electronic identi identification system. So we take, we take the burden away from the regular persons so they can be sure that uh, they are safe uh, while using electronic services. So I would say that if there is one thing that certainly uh, takes the cyber security to the next level is the implementation of electronic ID. Mm -hmm. That's that's one of the main things I would say. Mm. You know, we have social security cards in the U.S. We have a driver's license in the U.S. Um, does Estonia have those items too, or do you just have one thing? Uh, you know, actually, uh, the most important thing regarding the electronic ID is not the plastic, uh, piece of plastic, but the chip. The chip. That, exactly. But what is this chip? The chip is actually an encryption device. So when our government issues uh, electronic IDs, our government actually uh, gives state-of-art encryption capability to the hands of the regular persons and also entrepreneurs. So that's, that's the way how we can ensure the security of the interactions over the internet. We don't need to secure the internet itself. We create secure connectivity. But the possibility for that is this chip or the encryption capability in the hands of the regular person. And I would say also that the second very, very important aspect is that the, it is not a closed system that only government officials could use or only certain organization could use. It's nationwide system, so I can interact everybody. If I want to make business, if I want to interact with the government, 
I can use the same system. The basic security is ensured. Mm. Brilliant. Mr. Rick, thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode. Coming up in our next program. You can see uh, ships, aircrafts, tanks, but you can't see algorithms. And that makes it uh, difficult. That's Admiral Manfred Nielsen, Deputy Supreme Allied Commander Transformation with NATO. And he talked with us about NATO's most pressing concern as the future approaches rapidly. Our biggest concern is currently how to deal with big data. We in the military have to understand how to deal with data. Data may be more precious than gold and diamonds and oil in the future. Be sure to join us for the next episode of Target USA. Subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast for exclusive information regarding each program. Also, if you have any questions, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. And if you want the inside track on what's happening in the national security and international security worlds, sign up for my newsletter, Inside the Skiff. You can do it at wtop.com slash alerts. And most importantly, thank you for listening. I'm deeply grateful for your time and interest. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. It's time to get fired up, and Brad Jenkins is here to help. Check out the new show, Fired Up with Brad Jenkins, on Podcast One. Join the former White House staffer as he sits down with some of the biggest names in politics to tackle the most important issues of the day. Download new episodes of Fired Up with Brad Jenkins every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.